I'm uh, Greg Boyd. I, uh, I'm one of the teachers who hang around here. And uh, this, this wonderful thing called Wilton Hills Church, it's, it's just an honor to be a part of this. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I've shared here over the last year uh, more and more about how uh, there is something very, very cool going on around the world uh, as people all over the place. Just talked to a couple after the first service here. Came up from Colorado just to visit us. And uh, they caught the vision of this Jesus-looking God and this Jesus-looking kingdom and just how radical and beautiful the kingdom is and how it's different from all the kingdoms of this world. And uh, to a large degree, that, that, that puts them at odds with, with, with uh, the church that they were attending. They just have a different vision here. And all around the world, people are seeing that this kingdom that Jesus came to inaugurate, it looks quite different from the Christianity that people are used to seeing. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. And, and we're seeing that uh, increasingly every month more and more people contact us and are looking for some sort of leadership, um, some, some way of feeling networked with other people who have this vision. We've been thinking and praying and talking a lot about a strategy to help turn this, right now it's sort of an amorphic thing that's going on all over the place, uh, but how to turn that into an identifiable movement. Uh, about three months ago, I guess it was, I got contacted from this guy in Texas. Uh, and he, I was initially intrigued because he has a background in this ministry uh, that was about church planning and networking and things of that sort. I uh, was one of the leaders in this. It's uh, called Acts 29. It has a theology that's quite different from ours, but it's a very effective uh, sort of ministry. And as he has read uh, some different folks and was growing and uh, came across God at War, a book that I wrote, it began to change his theology, and in time he found that he had to leave that movement, lost a lot of his friends, all of his friends eventually, uh, and was kind of looking for a tribe. He's one of these people that caught this vision of a Jesus-looking God and a Jesus-looking kingdom. And so he contacted us just to say, you know, uh, can we talk? And so I've been in dialogue with this guy over the last three months, and I've just come to love his mind and love his heart. Uh, and this week he came up here to just hang out with us a little bit and to talk strategy and to start this dialogue about how do we network this, how do we turn this into a movement. And I thought, well, since you're up here, why don't you just preach the word to us? Would you do that? Yes. Hey, I'm telling you, you guys. This guy's awesome. This guy's awesome. So I would like you to give you to give a warm Wooden Hills welcome to Mark Moore from Texas. Praise God. I love this guy. Hey, Mark, preach it. Be anointed. God bless you, man. All right. Good morning. How's everybody today? Well, let me tell you something, and that is that uh, you know I, I've enjoyed uh, preaching in, in the other two services, and uh, and it's a good thing I'm still hanging around for the third one, so they didn't get rid of me after last night. But uh, but I want you to know that I, I've been hearing about this third service. Okay, they've been telling me this is the place where it gets really wild and people really get into this. So you know, hey. I, I don't know. The good thing is you don't really know me. I have nothing to live up to. You've got a lot to live up to. So uh, you need to do a good job, okay? And I'll try to do a good job also, all right? Uh, you know, this is my, uh, my first time in Minnesota. Uh, never been here before. Uh, Minnesota is just kind of this place on the map where every once in a while the Vikings beat the Cowboys. And, and uh, you know, we don't really like that. Uh, 
But, uh, you know, being from Texas, I mean, I'm cursed with my, you know, love for the Cowboys, and we've got other problems, and Lance Armstrong, and things like that. And, and I promise I'm not preaching this message under the performance-enhancing drugs that sometimes people take. But uh, this, uh, you know, coming up here to Minnesota has been great for me because where I live, when I left home, it was about 100 degrees. And, uh, and I got up here, and y'all have this great weather going on that evidently you're not into, but I'm really loving it. It's like January, and it's cold and rainy, and, and, uh, and it's great. So I've been loving it. And uh, I got here yesterday, and I was telling the other service, I asked Greg, I said, can, can you take me around and show me some uh, of the, the culture and the history of the Twin Cities uh, since I've never been? And he said, sure. And so we went to uh, a wedding, of all things. He just took me yesterday to a cathedral, uh, St. Paul's Cathedral, and we walk in, and there's a big, giant wedding going on. And so in the middle of the wedding, Greg and I are just walking around, looking at the cathedral while there's a wedding. And, and uh, I, I decided, you know, this is like wedding crashers, and one of us is Vince Vaughn, and the other is Owen Wilson, and I'm not sure which is which. But anyways, I've had a good time here, and it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, when, when I came up here, I, I never thought that I was coming up here to preach. And when Greg asked me to preach, I was very honored because I've loved this church from a distance, because I love what this church is about and what this church is doing and what this church stands for. Amen. And, and you as a church, you know, you, you, should, be, uh, you should be proud of, of what God is doing in your midst here in this place. And I believe that God is doing something phenomenal. And for me, I just want to be a person who is willing to listen to the call of God in my life, even when I don't understand what it looks like. You know, Abraham didn't know what God had in store for him when he called Abram and said, just leave everything you know and come follow me. And yet Abram did that because it didn't matter what was ahead. He just knew that God would be there with him. And that's the thing is I just want to know that at this season in history as God is doing something that I'm willing to be part of the people who are willing to just say, wherever God is going, we're just going to go there because that's where we want to be. It doesn't really matter the destination. It just matters that God is there and that makes the destination the place to be. And so as I've been thinking about what God is doing and how God is restoring uh, the, the body of Christ to a place of, of reclaiming what the gospel is really about, which is the kingdom of God, and, and reclaiming a, an understanding of Jesus and what Jesus is all about. There's a passage that's become very special to me, and it's found in Matthew chapter 11. And this is one of those passages that, you know, is sometimes we have passages that we say this is a famous passage. And it's weird because, like, the whole Bible is famous, and yet Matthew 11 has some words that seem to stick out more than others. Because these words of Jesus are just very warm and endearing sort of words. They're some of the most tender words Jesus ever spoke. So I want us to look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30, and let me read those to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, the thing that jumps off the page to me the minute I read this is Jesus says, come to me. It's amazing when you hear those words because Jesus doesn't invite you to come to an event. He doesn't invite you to come to a program. He doesn't invite you to come to a strategy. 
invites you to come to Him. It's very personal. It's warm. It's inviting. You know, and we all know the experience of, of having friends that have received some sort of invitation to come to something. And maybe we didn't get invited. And we didn't like that. We didn't like the way it feels to be uninvited. But here we have Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, inviting us to be part of something. And the thing that He's inviting us to be part of is Him. Come to me and be with me. There's this relational aspect in which Jesus calls us into this realm of His tenderness and His warmth and His compassion. Because the people that Jesus gives this call to, come to me, are all you who are weary and burdened. Weary. I mean, think about that word for a moment. Yeah, Work a long, hard day. Especially in this culture in which you had peasants who were working Long days under the sun, making no money whatsoever, just oppressed by the Roman Empire. And they would work until they were exhausted and they had nothing left to give. There was nothing to give. And Jesus says, to you who have nothing to give, come to me. He says, come to me, all of you who are burdened. Those of you who are weighted down and you feel like you can't go on any longer. You're the ones I'm inviting to come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. It's okay if you're exhausted. It's okay if you're burdened. I don't need you to come and give anything to me. I'm going to give everything to you. And what I'm going to give you is rest. Rest means I'm going to revive your soul. I'm going to refresh you. I'm going to make you fully human once again. And so Jesus invites us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You know, a yoke was a wooden device that was laid upon two animals, often oxen. There would be, this hole would be on one of the ox's neck and then on the other one would be the other hole. And this device was used for them to be able to team up and carry heavy loads, to pull heavy carts. And Israel saw this yoke as being something that was oppressive to them. Israel had the yoke of having to live up to the burden of the law to fulfill the righteousness of the covenant. And Israel, because they failed to do so, had been given another yoke, and that was the yoke of foreign oppression. One empire after the other came in and oppressed Israel. It was the Egyptians, and then it was the Philistines, And then it was the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Medo-Persian Empire. And now it was the Romans. And the Romans had made Israel's burden too much to carry because the yoke of Rome was too much to endure. And Jesus walks into this midst of this weary and burdened people who were oppressed, who were trying to live up to the law. And he says to them, you, you weary, exhausted burdened people come to me and I will give you rest because my yoke is easy and my burden is light learn from me I'm gentle and humble in heart Jesus shows himself to be a different kind of Lord in this announcement of his yoke being an easy yoke to bear when Jesus calls these weary and burdened people to come to him I believe that he's issuing a call that has to be heard, not just by individuals, but has to be heard by the church as a whole. 
Because you see, sometimes we take the words of Jesus and we read them as if they were words given to individuals. And the reality is, is that the words of Jesus are always the words he gives to the church, the collective body, the community of people who are in Christ. And so that means that what Jesus says to these people, he's saying to the church, he's saying, church, come to me and learn from me. Now, we have a way that we describe discipleship in the church that I pastor. We say this, discipleship is being with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. Discipleship is being with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. And so therefore, if I'm a disciple and I come to Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus, the first thing I'll learn is, is that Jesus is gentle and Jesus is humble. And that means that my life needs to reflect the gentleness and humility of Christ. So that also means that the church needs to reflect the gentleness and the humility of Christ, and yet we oftentimes don't do that. As a matter of fact, the problem is is that the church has often tried to call people to Jesus, has said to people, come to Jesus, be a follower of Jesus, become a disciple of Jesus, and in issuing that call, the church has failed to realize sometimes that they're giving a call to follow a Jesus that the church looks nothing like. And in issuing that call, what we don't realize is, is that we've lost credibility because we've lost faithfulness to the Christ who has founded the church that we're part of. Now, when that happens, we have to step back and say, why is it that we look nothing like Jesus? And the reality is, is the reason that we look nothing like Jesus is because rather than listening to his call, come to me and follow me, we've gone to the culture to learn from the culture how to be relevant to the world that we live in because we think that's what people need and that's what they want. And the reality is, is that they don't need anything that the culture has to offer to them because what the culture offers to them is a life of weariness and burden. You see, as a matter of fact, the church has sent its churches off to go learn at the feet of corporations how to be corporations in the world. And we've sent our pastors to go learn from CEOs how to run those corporations. And as a result of doing that, the church has decided that the way to measure success in the church is to use the tools that the world uses to measure success. And those tools are things like speed and success and power and might and all of these instruments that are never used as gauges within the kingdom to determine whether or not successful kingdom living is taking place. And so as a result, guess what the church does? The church issues a new call. And the new call is, come to me, all of you who are cool and trendy, and we'll put you to work and make you weary and burdened. (laughs) And in the process, the church has drowned out and muted the gentle call of Jesus. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. All the world needs to hear that there's rest available. But the church needs to hear that there's a new place to learn from, 
The new place is the old place. It's the first place. It's the original place. It's at the feet of Jesus. It's time for the church to go to the feet of Jesus and stay put. Stop acting like somebody with ADD who's looking around all the time and everything that runs in front of us. Oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and this looks like a good idea. And let's do this and this is a great. And we just run all over the place and we're schizophrenic and we need to stay at the feet of Jesus, learning from Jesus how to be the church. If we were at the feet of Jesus, we would have learned that Jesus is gentle and humble. And I've yet to meet anybody who describes the church as gentle and humble. When I ask people, describe the church, just in a word or two. I mean, don't give me a long paragraph. Just a word or two. What do you think of the church? Their answers usually run like this. Harsh, judgmental, hypocritical, proud, arrogant, mean-spirited. Narrow-minded. Man, how about gentle? How about humble? Humble. You see, because we didn't just go learn from corporations and CEOs how to be the church. We went and learned from the political discourse of our country. And the political discourse in our country is mean-spirited. It's, it's, it's not gentle and it's not humble. It just takes anybody who doesn't agree with us and look like us and we just cut them to shreds. And so the problem is, is in the church reflects that. It doesn't reflect the kind of prayer Jesus prayed in John 17 when he says, Lord, I pray for them that they would be one as you and I are one so the world would know that you sent me. The world is looking on. They don't believe the Father sent the Son because they look at the church and the church hates each other. And it's because we've learned from the political discourse, rather than learning at the feet of Jesus, how to be church in the world. Church in the world should look like Jesus. Not mean-spirited, but gentle and humble. Willing to say, we might not have all the answers, but we have Jesus and we're at his feet and we're just trying to learn. You see, you know, you've been, I know, listening a lot to Greg talk about the rise and fall of Christendom. And the church during Christendom was described as the church militant and triumphant. I can't think of a, any more words that are the exact opposite of gentle and humble than militant. Militant's the opposite of gentle. Humble is the opposite of triumphant. I mean, how then can we say that that in any way represents the church to the world? The church is to be at the feet of Jesus, learning from Jesus, how to be like Jesus, so that the world sees the church and says, that reminds me of Jesus. The church is to be the visible representation of Christ in the world. So what would it look like if a church were gentle? It might look like the kind of people that your friends would want to come and be around. You see, I'm not talking about inviting your friends to an event or a service. I'm talking about inviting them into Christ. And to be invited into Christ is to be invited into his body, the bride, which is to be beautiful before him. And so if the church were to look like Jesus, then maybe weary people would feel welcomed because the church would be gentle to those who are weary. Maybe if the church were to be humble, then those who were carrying a heavy load wouldn't feel like they would come in and have people look down upon them for the load they're bearing, but rather people who would be humble enough to stoop down alongside of them and help them carry that load for a change. And then the world might find rest at the feet of Jesus because the church was showing the world Jesus. You see, the church, because we have run away from Jesus has got to recover some language that we've wanted to give up on because it's not the kind of language that is popular and we like to use. But it's the language of repentance. 
You see, we don't like to talk about repentance. We like to talk about confession. You see, because confession is real easy, isn't it? I mean, to confess something, that doesn't take any work. I mean, let's be honest. We can all confess stuff. I mean, you know, I confess pretty much about 16 Sundays a year that I'm a far more qualified coach than any coach the Dallas Cowboys have. And, uh, but that doesn't take a lot of work, you know? I just kind of sit there looking at my television, wishing they'd give me a headset to plug in so I could communicate to the sidelines, you know? So it doesn't take any work on my part. I, I can confess that I might even be good for the team, but I'm not going to go do any exercise and practice to get on that team. I don't want to be run over by a big guy, you know? So it's easy to confess stuff. I mean, hey, a few weeks ago, I watched that that maniac walk across the tightrope over the Grand Canyon. And I watched that and I sat there and I said, man, you know, this is ridiculous. I can't believe he's doing this. I could probably ride a unicycle across it. But I mean, why is he doing this? And my kids looked at me and said, dad, you're out of your mind. A week later, I took him to the Grand Canyon, but they took the wire down. So I didn't do it. I can't. But you know, the thing is, is this, is that we can confess that things are easy to do. Hey, it's easy. Let's just confess that we can do this. Let's confess that we want to be like Jesus. But repentance, now that's another thing altogether. Because you see, repentance actually requires us not just to confess something, but then having confessed it to have our mind changed so that we change our action. We have to turn away from this way of being and embrace another way of being. Repentance in the first century was understood as giving up one's agenda to accept the agenda of another. The church has to give up its agenda of how to be church in order to embrace the agenda of Jesus for how to be church. Repentance means that I have to not only turn from something, but I have to take an act of faith in the process. Just, you know, here in Minnesota, you know, if, if the stereotypes are true, I think you guys ice fish, you know. I've seen this on TV, right? And, and so you get out there on the ice and you're sitting there and you're, and you're fishing. And so here I can imagine for a moment that if I were to come up here and be completely inexperienced but decide that I'm going to go ice fishing, it may look like I start walking out on the ice and because it's, you know, like 40 degrees, which is freezing to us in Texas. And so I walk out on the ice and then as I get a little further out, I start to hear a crack. And I sit there and I think to myself, you know, this isn't, this, I don't think this is good. Cracking doesn't sound like a good thing. Now, if I keep walking the way I'm going, it's going to be disastrous, isn't it? I'm going to fall through the ice and drown. Now, when I hear the cracking and I recognize this isn't good, this is disastrous, then guess what I have to do? I have to turn around and go back the other way because the other way is going to be better. The other way is where life is found. The church is walking out on ice And we're walking forward in a way that doesn't look like Jesus. And we hear the cracking of the ice. We hear the warning sounds. But we ignore them because somehow we think we've got it all figured out. And so the reality is the church must repent and turn and go away from the cracks in the ice back to the safe shore where Jesus is found because there's foundation there that's good. It's the foundation of Christ. And the foundation of Christ is all we need in the church to set our bearings straight. You see, what would happen, what would happen if Jesus showed up here today? And I'm not talking about in some kind of ethereal, you know, weird, spooky kind of way. I'm talking about like he just walked in the room. 
just walked in, in a, wearing his sandals and the whole Jesus gear, you know. And he just comes in and he walks in. And everybody's immediately looking at him, probably because of what he's wearing. But they're just looking and saying, "What? Is, this is Jesus. He's here. And, and there'd be some people that would be going, you know, well, the rapture didn't happen. How's he here? And, and we'd be trying to ask questions about, is this the second come? But what if it was just like kind of a middle coming and he just showed up? And he just walked in the room and he just begun to walk amongst us. I think there would be some people in the room who would naturally think to themselves, well, I, I need to go right over there and talk to him about some ideas I've got you know, and tell him what's going on. I think there would be others who would run away out of fear. They would say, what's it going to be like? He, he's going to know I lost my Bible and you know, he's not going to be happy about this. He's going he's to have just seen that they passed that bucket and I gave no money. And what's going to happen? There's going to be all of these things that go through our mind. And oftentimes we think that if Jesus really showed up, we just wouldn't want to be around him because he would know everything about our life. And the truth is, is that if Jesus came in today, he'd not only know everything about our life, but he'd step right in front of us and he would make it awesome. He would walk in and he would stand among us and we would walk up and we'd say, Jesus, I'm sorry because I, and he'd say, I don't, I don't care about it. Let's, let's talk about you for a minute. I'm so interested. What did you, what did you have for breakfast? What did you do this morning? I just love you. He'd say, well, Jesus, you know, I mean, I, I want to talk to you about why, you know, I haven't, I don't know if you've been here the last few weeks and wondered where I was, but, you know, and he'd just say, look, hey, I'm not interested in that. What load are you carrying today? Well, honestly, Jesus, I've been carrying this load. Can I take that from you? What's wearing you down? Can I give you rest? He'd be awesome. You know, if Jesus did show up here, you wouldn't be able to contain the madness and the chaos that would break out outside of this building. Because that's what happened wherever Jesus went on the pages of the Gospels. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus shows up in a synagogue one morning and he preaches the gospel of the kingdom. And right as he does this, a, a demonized man comes running in and Jesus just looks at the demon and he just sends the demon out of the guy. And the people run out of there and they go tell all their friends, you won't believe what happened today. We were at the synagogue. It was a day like any other day. And then this happened. And then Jesus goes from there into Peter's mother-in-law's home. And when he walks in, he just takes this woman who has a fever and he sends the fever away and he heals her. And right after that, we read that when the sun goes down, that means the Sabbath came to an end. When the sun went down, the whole town gathered at the door to see Jesus. The whole town was there. And I'll tell you why. It's not because they left the synagogue and went home and said, you know, well, it's just another day at the church. You know, I mean, we just went and we heard the deal. And, you know, I really wish they wouldn't sing that one song. Because that I, I can't, you know, my voice doesn't sound good on that song. And, you know, why have they got that one guy doing that? And how come, you know, where's Greg's shoes at? And, I mean, all these, you know, you, they would go home. And what they would say is, you won't believe what happened. We were there and Jesus was there. And I think if Jesus were to be the one whose feet the church sat at and never got up and walked away from, they'd start saying that about our churches. They'd start saying, Jesus is there. You got to go. You'd say, well, you mean he's like the real Jesus? Man, the body of Christ is somehow doing everything Jesus did. You want to go with me? Yeah, but wait a minute because I've got to go get my sick friend first. 
because they got to come with me. Because if Jesus is there, I'm not going to lose the opportunity because I love them and I'm tired of seeing them be sick and broken. And we'd go get our sick friends and we'd go get our friends that, that had all sorts of problems and we'd go get our broken friends and our hurt friends and we'd go get our friends who had just been let out of prison who society has given up on. We'd get the weary and the burdened and the sick and the tired of this land and we would bring them to the feet of Jesus and they'd find rest for their souls and the world would say the church is like Jesus and it wouldn't matter who they were it wouldn't matter what they looked like it wouldn't matter what they do in this world because Jesus would be great for all of them you know why I know that because Jesus is everything for everybody let me tell you something if you're an astronomer He's the bright morning star. If you're a baker, he's the bread come down from heaven. If you're a carpenter, he's the door. If you're a doctor, he's the great physician. If you're an electrician, he's the light of the world. If you're a farmer, he's the kernel of wheat that fell into the ground and died. If you're a geologist, he's the rock of ages. If you're a horticulturist, he's the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. If you're a lawyer, he's our advocate with the Father. If you're a king, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If you're a mortician, he's the resurrection of the dead. If you're an optometrist, he's the one who made the blind man see. If you're a psychologist he's our wonderful counselor if you're a philosopher he's the truth if you're a traveler he's the way he is Jesus this is the one our churches should reflect and anything that doesn't look like Jesus means the church has become unfaithful and adulterous to our primary calling, and that's to show Christ to the world. The church has got to repent and come back to the feet of Jesus. The church has to come with brokenness and humility and know that it won't be turned away because when she comes to the feet of Jesus, he will welcome her home like the prodigal son's father who's standing at the end of a long road, lifting up the hem of his robe, running down the aisle to meet her because he's so thankful to have the child back that he loves. The church has got to run back to Jesus and say, Jesus, don't turn us away. We're sorry. We're broken revive us refresh us make us the church again in the world that looks like you he will love us he will welcome us he will be gracious to us he will show us mercy he will treat us like the bride that he loves who he died and gave his own blood to redeem and restore we have to come home to jesus as the church no other places no other places are we allowed to go To learn how to be church, we come to the feet of Christ. Church at the feet of Jesus is what this world needs. And it's time we stay there. Don't get up. Don't walk away. And God, may he move here and do that in this place. May he do it at this moment in history. Historians tell us that every 500 years, there's been something significant that has happened in the church. Well, it's been 500 years since the last great move of God. And all I know is this, is that I'm glad I'm alive today. 
Not a hundred years ago and not a hundred years from now. I'm glad I'm alive today because I want to seize the moment in history. I want to know that I have taken with this, this precious time that God has given me on this earth and I have used it to the fullest so that I can represent Christ and his kingdom and be part of something significant. I want to be part of making the church better. I don't want to stand outside of the church and throw rocks at it and say everything is wrong with it. I want to be in the middle of it, working, staying at the feet of Jesus and doing my part so that my grandchildren don't have to jack around with all the stuff that I was unwilling to do because I was faithful enough to care about the future generations of this world so that when they look at the church, they say there was a moment in history where there were some people who really believed and they got on their face before God and they were unwilling to walk away from the feet of Christ and they learned what it meant to look like Jesus once again and they quit looking like everything else in the world and they started looking like the one who came on the cross and bled and died. And that church was the church that started to make a difference. And the world became less weary. And the world became less burdened because the church became more like Jesus. That's what I want to be part of. Now, this moment, seize the opportunity. And so may God grant us repentance here, now, today. I mean, let us get on our faces before God. And cry out to Him, Oh Lord, Oh Lord, move us. I'm going to read you a passage from this translation in the message that Eugene Peterson did. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. May those words be the words used to describe this church. Because they're the words that were used to describe Jesus. And it's time the church starts showing Jesus. Amen. Hey, I want to pray. I want to pray for you, and and I want to ask the prayer team to to come forward for those who would like to come and be prayed for. And and maybe as a church this morning, I don't know what God is is stirring in your heart as individuals or, or collectively, but, you know, don't be ashamed to just, as we pray, just get on your knees and just ask God, God, do something in us. I mean, maybe, maybe something would happen, revival would break out, and, and, and we wouldn't know what to do because we wouldn't feel like going home. We'd just feel like just sitting here and just saying, Jesus, just, can you show up today? It'd be incredible. But I want to pray for you, and I want to pray that God would move in your heart in some significant way. And so, Father, I pray for my friends in Woodland Hills Church. Lord, I pray for the work you want to do in and through this church Lord, the work you're already doing is amazing. Lord, just as we sang in that song about going deeper, Lord, let the work you're doing here go deeper in this church. Let this church, Lord, in some way be a lightning rod within the kingdom of God. And Lord, let this church not fear the future, but be willing to step into its future. A future that, Lord, is is shaped by being at the feet of Jesus and reflecting Jesus in the world. 
Lord, grant repentance in those areas of our lives where we're not gentle and we're not humble and we don't look like Jesus. And let us be like Christ. Lord, do a great work in this church for the sake of your glory and your kingdom in this world. Lord, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.